Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And I'm very honored today to have as my special guest, Gerald Rolise. Gerald, I've known Gerald for quite a few years. He's one of the most knowledgeable people that I know in the world about clinical nutrition. Uh, not just intellectual knowledge, but a wonderful combination of that kind of knowledge, but also having been down in the trenches with many clients and also coaching and advising hundreds of natural health care professionals. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Gerald, not only for his knowledge and his commitment, but also, I've got a special place in my heart for people who have kind of like what society would call they've made it, like um, like like medical doctors who are seeing a lot of patients and society considers them very successful or they're making a lot of money, and then something in their heart tells them that maybe there's a better way to do this. And um, they eventually extricate themselves from that type of a practice and end up doing what their heart desires. Uh, or uh, maybe a movie star or a singer who's making millions of dollars uh, and ends up walking away from it to pursue the kind of music or the kind of work they really want to be doing. That, that takes a special something. And I really put Gerald in that category. Gerald was uh, a very successful pharmaceutical rep and uh, could have easily done that for 10, 20, 30 years and had a pretty cushy life. But uh, his conscience started to get the best of him and uh, he actually walked away from that career as a pharmaceutical rep and then is now in the natural healing arts. And uh, not only is he in the natural healing arts, but he's able to bring a very special gift to the table, which is to help those of us who are in the natural healing arts to safely uh, interact with uh, people that are on prescription medications and to work with doctors that put patients on prescription medications so that uh, patients who want to see if they can reduce their dependence on prescription drugs can do that in a way that is legal and safe. And so uh, I know I speak for many natural healthcare doctors when I say that we have a special debt to Gerald Release. So Gerald, welcome to freeing the body, freeing the soul. Thank you for having me. So in this particular interview, I don't want to just rehash a tremendously wonderful interview that you did last year with uh, a gentleman named Eric. What was his last name? Sean Croxton. Sh oh, Sean Croxton. Yes. Yeah. 
and we'll put the links to that interview in the show notes. Uh, in that interview, um, Sean and Gerald did a great job of uh, going into some detail about some of the uh, manipulative ploys that Gerald was taught as a high-level pharmaceutical sales rep to manipulate doctors into prescribing more of the drugs that he would get commissioned if they were prescribed. And uh, that's an amazing story and how Gerald extricated himself from that kind of a life. And we'll definitely post a link to that. But uh, I think one area where we could go into a lot more than that interview got into is more detail about what happened in your journey afterwards, after you decided to let go of that. I know you mentioned that you went to Japan and got your MBA. And let's pick up the story in your life about sure. what happened after that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, at the conclusion of my pharmaceutical sales career, um, it was five years of that. I actually then picked up and moved to Asia, um, me being half Chinese biologically and half Portuguese, of course, uh, but the half Chinese I wanted to explore further and to learn more about who I was and my identity. And I always had a fascination with the culture, the food, the language, um, you know, given that I had some exposure growing up in the U.S., uh, a lot of people when I was younger would ask with it, which ethnic group do you identify yourself with most? And you know, for someone who's half Portuguese, half Chinese, but also ethnically has Brazilian and Nicaraguan influence, I was somewhat confused. So we can kind of say that I had this curiosity to just learn more about myself. And in doing so, I moved to Asia and I, I actually did pursue my MBA, my Master's of Business Administration, while I was living in Taiwan, um, which has a lot of Japanese influence as well as um, Chinese influence. And and there I lived for two years. Um, now, while I lived there, of course, I was going through withdrawal from working as a pharmaceutical sales rep, no longer having that very comfortable um, financial, you know, just income coming in every month. I didn't have the, the comfort of an American Express corporate credit card that would be used to pay for each meal that I had. And I didn't have the comfort of having that company car that was fully paid by the drug companies, my employers, where I didn't have to pay for car insurance and gasoline. And, and so in a way, you can kind of say that my move to Asia was my personal withdrawal syndrome. Um, I had to go through withdrawal and, and become a student. Um, of course, you know, as many of us have, have lived the student lifestyle before, there came this new sense of freedom to explore and to engage in new and wondrous things. And in doing so, while I lived in Asia, I actually went beyond what I thought was, you know, my, um, my, I guess you could say, pharmaceutical imposed healthcare paradigm. And while I was there, I actually got exposed to Qigong. Uh, I trained in, in a couple different, under a couple different teachers and also trained in some Bagua, or you can think of the internal Chinese martial arts, which is similar to Tai Chi. I even um, participated in weekly meditation sessions with Zen Buddhists over in Taiwan. And 
at some point even participated in a five-day silent meditation retreat, which was an amazing experience in the northern islands of Taiwan, just with hundreds of practitioners just meditating for literally five days and not speaking a single word. I also uh, received acupuncture and and I received my first chiropractic adjustment, you can say, uh, from a chiropractor of the East. He was a practitioner of Twena, which means literally to um, pull and, and push. And uh, it was an amazing experience because I had physical injuries where I could not physically touch uh, above my hand with both arms, only my left arm, which I had injured during a fall while hiking in the in the town in the mountains there i could not lift my left arm above just my shoulder height and he had just worked on me for 15 minutes and at the end of 15 minutes i could touch both of my arms directly above my head and so i experienced a lot of new ways of healing i suppose that i never knew existed and um you know if we want to even go deeper the twina practitioner had the ability to, I guess you could say it's called fortune telling or maybe astrology, but really he knew based on your birth date, time, and location, he could assess where you were in your life career-wise and what your personality was like and where your life would be going and at least what direction would be best for it to go. And and that's in the Chinese medicine world is known as Bazi, you know, the eight. I guess, character um, form of uh, astrology. And that was really this overall experience living in Taiwan was just overall heart opening, spiritually opening, um, life altering, and definitely changed my paradigm of what I assumed healthcare could look like. Now, were you single at the time? I was single when I moved over there. Uh, naturally, you know, it's very difficult to move to another country if you're locked into a very committed relationship. So certainly when I when I first moved over there, I had uh, I was unattached, um, you know, obviously unattached financially to any employers or debtors and unattached emotionally. And and I was also fortunate to meet my now wife and, and mother of two children. I was fortunate to meet her the very first week I moved over there. So if you think about, you know, fate and, and certain callings, uh, I was it definitely happened for me within the first week while I was living there. Wow. So, um, why don't you continue on with your amazing story? Yeah. Um, you know, while I lived in Taiwan, I, I really had this shift also with nutrition and I, started to participate in detoxification programs um, to just rid my body of whatever toxins were stored. I even modified it to um, to gradually, eventually then remove completely all processed foods. And I even shifted to moving towards a vegetarian diet, um, not quite 100% vegetarian. Um, and then later, of course, we can discuss further after I returned from Asia, that my diet then further transformed from vegetarian, then more to raw food, vegan, then to a primal paleo-ish diet based, of course, uh, a lot of the information is based on the findings that I was reading from Dr. Weston A. Price and 
uh, Anjanus von der Planets and Dr. Price, uh, Dr. Francis Pottinger Jr. and Royal Lee. So um, the whole quest for dietary evolution is, is something that started while I was in Asia, but then continued on when we returned. Um, you know, and one interesting thing I'd like to go back to is when I completed my MBA in Taiwan, I actually had a couple months in which I stayed there working as a business consultant. And one of my top clients was a, it is a large Taiwanese herbal formulation company. And they actually grow the herbs and then they formulate them into actual capsules or powders. And they had hired me and the principal consultant to, to actually conduct market analysis and develop a strategy how to launch a herbal formula into the United States. Now, this herbal formulation was already being prescribed by medical doctors in Taiwan to their patients. So right away, I, I further got exposure to a changing healthcare paradigm in that medical doctors there were not not inhibited or not prohibited the way that medical doctors here in the U.S. are from prescribing herbal formulations, but they were actually encouraged to do that. And to me, this was a non-existent concept um, coming from you know my days as a pharmaceutical sales rep, where we actually badmouth herbs, you know, nat natural solutions, and we badmouth chiropractic, we badmouth acupuncture. Unfortunately, you know, and that was something that I had to let go of in order to be successful with this project and also in order to provide the best service possible to my client, which was this Taiwanese herbal company. And in doing so, um, I became very familiar with the American market for how herbs are distributed and the different channels. And also, also I got to learn about the different ranges of quality. Um, you know, one of the most fascinating and, and really I guess scary thing to think about is that most of the high quality herbal products can only be found and distributed through holistic healthcare practitioners and that those that can be found on the shelves of any retail chain like Whole Foods or a GNC um, oftentimes are diluted to the point where they're not going to be effective um, and and that's a real tragedy because there are a lot of consumers out there who are purchasing these products, believing in that they're going to help them. Now, in some cases, these formulas that are acquired on retail channels will work because the placebo is so powerful. You know, the, the placebo, the, the belief in, in healing and the belief that we have the ability to heal is just one of the most magnificent and powerful forces within each and every one of us that people who do purchase those will receive some benefit. However, you know, if we add the placebo or the, the belief that we can heal on top of a high quality efficacious formula that oftentimes are, you know, purchased from holistic healthcare practitioners, then then that just expedites and supports the process. So that was one of the most important things I learned as a consultant working for this Taiwanese herbal company. And and this this company made a an important point that they were never going to choose the retail channels. And, and right away as a consultant, they suggested, they said to us that we are not going to choose the retail channels. Um, and so we had to, as a consultant, I had to provide them solutions to that. Uh, and, and it's interesting, during my research, I actually found that while presenting to them the company, I said that they can make the most amount of money 
selling it through the retail channels. Um, and, you know, of course, that was the input. I That was the research that I found. And I shared that information knowing, though, that we were going to focus on the channels that preserve the the strength and the and the power of their actual formula. Um, so that those were some things that I did after I graduated. Um, after I graduated, I then returned back to the U.S. and got involved with a lot of cool things. From you know ha- meeting friends who are actual mediums and intuitives, and then taking classes in terms of uh, how to meditate to cultivate that that ability to communicate with those um, that we can't necessarily see in the mortal world, I guess you can say. And, um, you know, and then I found uh, a company to consult for that actually formulated concentrated foods. So they take vegetables and herbs and other nutrient dense foods and, and package them tightly into a tablet or capsule. And, and since there I've been exposed to, Gosh, energy healings and again, continue on with the Qigong and the Tai Chi and chiropractic and acupuncture and, you know, homeopathy. So, so my, my life has definitely grown and expanded since then. Could we go into a little more depth about the importance of the distinction between the type of whole food and whole herbal products that you represent now and what the average consumer is probably familiar with in terms of if they're normally going to the store and purchasing a vitamin or mineral product where the vitamins are synthetically derived and the uh, quality control of the herbs is not that good or there are additives or binders or things. Can you talk about the enormous difference uh, that goes along with these distinctions and how without an understanding of these distinctions, it's impossible to really make a valid assessment about the value of these kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion out there. And, you know, I too have been a consumer of those products and those formulas. Um, you know, prior to me entering UC Berkeley for my undergraduate degree, I, I too took a lot of supplements that I believed would improve my cognitive abilities. You know, obviously I wanted to score higher on SATs and, and improve my grades so that I could, um, you know, apply to as many colleges and universities as I, as I wanted and have my choice. And, and so I, I too took a lot of these supplements over the counter that unfortunately were primarily synthetic based. And, and what I mean by synthetic based is that they fall in a category or a group of supplements known as nutraceuticals. And if we look at the term nutraceuticals, it, you can literally break it down into nutrient-like pharmaceuticals and and so what does that mean if some if we look at pharmaceuticals in general um, they are oftentimes derived in laboratories resulting from the raw materials such as coal tar petroleum and genetically modified corn syrup so a lot of forms a lot of pharmaceuticals are, are derived from that you know we can go on further a lot of pharmaceuticals are 
are derived from genetically modified, you know, animal cells or plant cells. Um, you know, we can go even further that a lot of them are cultured off of things such as lactose, et cetera. But the idea is that the coal tar, petroleum, and genetically modified corn syrup does serve as the base for the production of many chemicals, pharmaceuticals, and also nutraceuticals. And from a nutrition standpoint, we were meant to always source our nutrition from food. And, and what this means is, is food was the original and is, you know, if we think about it intuitively, is the only and real source for nutrition from for the human body. Now, um, when we look at labels, you know, and any of your listeners can go to any retail store and pick up a supplement and you can look up the labels and you'll see high dosages of a particular vitamin, you know, whether it be vitamin C, which is unfortunately mislabeled. It's really ascorbic acid or some, some form of that. And ascorbic acid is one part of vitamin C. And what you'll see in these supplement labels is that the, the ascorbic acid is high dose, you know, X number of milligrams for over 100% of daily value intake. And, and to me, this is very much like a pharmaceutical way of using nutrition. You know, let's take one isolated nutrient or a synthetic nutrient, high dose it, and then we see a pharmacological result. And oftentimes people will take high dose of sarbic acid during an illness and then they'll feel better. And then that, you know, that works, you know, at the end of the day, whatever works will work. However, that was more a pharmacologic response to a high dose nutraceutical versus a nutritive effect where people can actually get their vitamin C from a food source and still have the same result. Okay. Um, now let's talk a little bit about how this whole industry developed. And it's interesting. The very first vitamin supplement was created in 1929. In 1929, the vitamin D had not yet been discovered. And in fact, vitamin D was discovered in 1931. And then 1933, humans then discovered vitamin E. Of course, then other vitamins were discovered after that, right? You could follow the alphabet, vitamin F, vitamin G, vitamin J, K, P, U, T, and so on, right? All these vitamins. And, and a lot of these vitamins that I just mentioned, maybe your listeners haven't heard of, but all of those can only be found in foods. That's one of the reasons why you won't find vitamin U or vitamin T or vitamin F on a supplement label because the pharmaceutical companies haven't found yet a way to manufacture that in a laboratory since it can only come from food at this moment. Now, in 1929 came the first vitamin supplement and, and that name of that supplement we won't necessarily mention but people can research it. And what happens is that every year as new vitamins are discovered, the original formulators of, the, of this whole food concentrate go back and they go, yeah, that vitamin's in there. That vitamin's in there. Because in 1929, the, the creator of this whole food formula just focused on what foods humans should be eating. And in doing so, he focused on basically what vitamins we should all get known and unknown. And the unfortunate nature is that most people think about nutrition as trying to find a supplement that will give them high dosages, high dosages 
of vitamins that are known by humans. But then they forget about the fact that the unknown vitamins, the vitamins that are undiscovered, are actually just as important. Now, of course, the pharmaceutical companies and the nutraceutical companies and all the marketing out there are intended to, you know, you mentioned earlier the word manipulate, manipulate but I would say they use the word to re-educate, you know, unfortunately. And they're re-educating the consumer to believe that because this vitamin is known and because this vitamin can be synthetically manufactured in the laboratory, it then is of higher priority and importance than any other vitamin out there that is unknown. And to me, that is where science kind of goes wrong. You know, it's, it's great to use science to confirm what we intuitively know, that all vitamins should come from food. But as soon as we use research to prove that something we can make in a laboratory is more valuable than something what we can get from a food that's, you know, a nutrient that's undiscovered, then I would say that's where science has made um, humans a bit arrogant to what we really should be eating or what we need to be eating. Um, but yeah, that's the general gist. It always get your your vitamins from food. Now, this of course goes into another topic of well, you know, the soils are nutrient nutrient depleted. So the foods that we're eating at the end of the day are not going to be able to sustain us if we were to just go to our local farmers markets and purchase organic foods. And, and that's a whole other topic that we can explore. I don't know if that's something that you'd like to go into, but we can definitely spend some time clarifying the differences between conventionally grown foods, organically grown foods, and then of course, biodynamic farming and permaculture, which I believe is, is the future for, you know, just serving the entire society of hu human humans on this planet. Well, let's talk about solutions. I mean, yeah. what can people do? The average city dweller who isn't going to move out to some pristine area of the country. Um, you know, let's talk about the solution that, you know, that the company that you represent, let's talk about the solution that they provide through, through licensed natural healthcare providers so that people know what's available that they probably don't know is available. Right. Okay. Absolutely. You know, most of the times I find clients come into my office and, and you, Dr. David, probably see patients that come in and have the same causes to their health issues. And I find that as a clinical nutritionist, I find two primarily primary issues. The first is they're malnourished. Um, and then the second is they have some sort of environmental toxins still in their body that are preventing themselves, preventing them from healing. And so let's talk about the mal malnutrition. The malnutrition comes from basically our food supply, um, you know, where we have foods that are genetically engineered, genetically modified, and they're not being genetically engineered or genetically modified to ensure that the, they're nutrient dense, that the foods are nutritious for the populations. So unfortunately, they're being genetically engineered and genetically modified for the purpose of profit to, you know, so that these biotech corporations can sell more specific pesticides, right? And so now that we start to have the other issue of increased pesticide use in our food supply, which is adding to the environmental toxins. So, you know, initially there, there are solutions that people can do on their own, you know, but it won't be enough. And so the things that they can do on their own, and these are suggestions that are, I always present to my clients, it's 
always eat as clean of a diet as possible. So eat foods without any chemicals added. That includes pesticides, synthetic fertilizers, um, artificial coloring, preservatives, etc. So right away, by eliminating you know all processed foods, you can decrease your intake of environmental toxins or these chemicals uh, to a significant amount. However, because organic soils, you know, by definition only means no chemicals have been added, it doesn't necessarily ensure that the soil, the topsoil that's used to grow those vegetables are going to be fully nourishing to that plant. And then, of course, if the human eats that plant or the animal that eats the plant isn't still guaranteed a nutrient-dense food. And so while we can shop and eat organic, we can avoid the chemicals, but we still have the issue to address of nutritionally supportive food. And and that's where we can move into biodynamic farmers or permaculture farmers, okay? And now there's very few of those around the world, but we can study biodynamic, biodynamic farming and permaculture to find ways in which to nourish the compost of the soil. And this is, you know, where you create a method of restoring not only NPK, a lot of people, they are familiar with nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus as what's essential to put in the soil so that the plants can grow quickly and strongly. But we forget about that. There's dozens of trace minerals we have to replenish the soil with, and we want to make sure that it's very microorganism rich. Now, for a lot of your listeners, including myself, you know, this is not something we can recreate overnight. For example, I have com you know, I have planter beds and compost, but it's not enough right now at this point to feed my family. And so we have to find the long-term solution as well as the short-term solution. And so for for my clients, my long-term solution I prov provide them is examples of how I built planter beds in my backyard. Now, that can take a while. It could take a couple months, could take a couple years. For many listeners, they may not have a backyard like I do. They may have a balcony, and you can't really then grow that volume you need. And that's where then additional supplementation from whole food formulas comes in. And so I consult for a company that actually grows their own vegetables on, you know, they have a thousand acres of organic farmland, and it's always been organic. You know, what's funny is the label organic is something that the government, you know, is now charging farmers to have them pay the government so that they can put the label organic. And it's funny because the company I consult for, their farm was always organic since 1929. And then they just had to pay the government to say it's organic. It's, it's kind of funny. Now, what they do is they actually implement principles of permaculture. So they have crop rotation. They use rainwater to irrigate their farms. And then when they harvest the, the vegetables, it, they're actually very nutrient-dense because they have 12 feet of topsoil. And for anybody who's out there, if you start to do your research and you can find the references, the amount of topsoil globally is on the decline. It's you know down to an inch in some areas, and, and especially those areas where you start to see dust bowls. It's virtually down to nothing. But this farm has 12 feet of topsoil. And if you look at alfalfa, alfalfa is one of the most nutrient-dense foods. The most amazing thing about alfalfa is it can go down to 100 feet deep in order to extract nutrition and nutrients. Now, where can you find 100 feet deep of 
topsoil, it's going to be very rare. You're going to have to go to the remote locations of the Andes or some, you know, unhuman disturbed land. And what's amazing about this farm is as the 12 feet and what they do is the farmers then harvest the alfalfa and the other organically grown vegetables. And then they put it through the largest juicer you've ever seen. And in doing so, what they do is they remove the fiber so that they can now take that and throw it back into the compost piles. And then they take this large vat of vegetable juice and immediately transfer into a dehydrator. They have to transfer it immediately because they want to prevent the oxidation of the nutrients now being exposed to the air. And so they immediately transport it to a dehydrator that is not heat-based. Okay, because if you start to use heat to dehydrate food, especially heat above 105 degrees, you start to destroy and kill the live enzymes. And so they use a, a pressure-based, okay, a vacuum-based dehydrator to remove the water. And then at the end of the dehydration process, you have just a powder of all the nutrition from a plant. So you're essentially taking that plant and about a, a pound and a half of food. So imagine, you know, imagine a pound and a half of kale, beets, Brussels sprouts, you know, all these nice detoxification supporting foods, and you remove the fiber and the water, you can essentially take that 1.5 pounds of vegetables and encapsulate it into one capsule and give that person the nutri nutrition they need for that particular day. Um, and, and so they do this not only with vegetables, they do this with other extracts that are known to help support the regeneration of organs and other tissues. And they also do it with herbs. Um, so, you know, a lot of people don't realize that we're, we were all designed to consume herbs and a lot of people aren't, um, you know, unfortunately the, the extent in which they're consuming herbs are when they make their afternoon tea, you know, cause obviously tea is, Often it's considered an herb and they're using the method of infusion with hot water to extract the properties. And but a lot of people don't realize that we should we have been built to consume herbs on a regular basis for our entire lives. Well, that's beautiful. And it, it's wonderful that pe more people are finding out that this type of concentrated whole food concentrate is available. And uh, that's fantastic. And so Let's talk a little bit about herbs, because I'm finding that as I'm getting older and my nutrition is getting better and better, and I'm going deeper in my own healing process, I'm finding that in order to take my healing to the next level, that I'm needing to become much more aware of the whole field of herbology. And uh, we already alluded to the tremendous variability in quality control and uh, how difficult it is for the consumer to tell about herbal quality control by the label. Um, can you talk about your experience of herbs and where you see herbs fitting into the picture, the healing picture, the big healing picture, and uh, any other thoughts you want to share about uh, herbalism and uh what the consumer can do again to ensure access to high quality herbs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, 
herbs, when, when I was a pharmaceutical sales representative, herbs were like a four letter word. You, you couldn't talk about them. And if you did, they were dangerous. You know, you relegated them. They became taboo almost to the point. And it's really unfortunate because if you look at human history, you know, pharmaceuticals really, they started with the, you know, discovery, like pretty much antibiotics, which was an accidental discovery. If you think about it from the, the culture of, of a fungus, you know, any of us can, you know, let the rice sit in the rice cooker for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, this is something I did in college, right? I lived with a bunch of guys and we had some roommates and someone would make rice and then we would get lazy and not wash the rice cooker. And you would have in a couple of weeks, a couple of layers of different colored fungus and molds and and in a way you think about well that's kind of how pharmaceuticals started and, and since then you know we've got more and more chemicals entering the physician desk reference you know just more pharmaceuticals that medical doctors can then prescribe and so you know what's really important is that we think of pharmaceuticals are really new they they weren't around 250 years ago, maybe not even 200 years ago. They're really new in terms of, uh, you know, being a solution if you want to actually consider them a solution to people's health problems. And so what we have to think about is what, what did humans use before 250 years ago when pharmaceuticals became present? And all medicines came from the forest, if you think about it, you know, and we... If you look at pharmaceutical companies today, they actually have they have teams of scientists that go and travel to different jungles and study different tribes to see what herbs they are using for maintenance and, and supportive of optimal health, not just you know the solution to to reversing health conditions that plague us, but how to support human health and. And then what these scientists do is they take that herb back into the laboratory and then they isolate an active component. And then what they do is they take that active component and they try to they try to create a synthetic version of it. And in doing so, once you have the synthetic molecule, then you can patent it and then you conduct these phase one, phase two, phase three clinical trials so that you can prove that these drugs don't kill people. And... And then you create a disease in which this drug is designed to treat. And, and that's the process of pharmaceutical medicine because you can only make money off of, you know, you can make serious amounts of money if you have a chemical that's actually patented and you have the exclusive rights to sell it. And, and that's where we are now. Now, if we go back to these forests, you know, my question is, why don't we learn from these natives and learn about these herbs and learn how they're so safe and effective because they don't have side effects, especially if you know how to use them and you use them for the right amount of time and the right amount. And, and why are these natives choosing to use those and not pharmaceuticals? And, and yet they have optimal health. These are the questions that I ask every day. And, and really what your listeners can think about is that we're all herbalists and there's a whole range. You know, there's you can put on the range that there's nutrient dense foods and what would be my nutrient dense foods are, you know, kale, Brussels sprouts, beets, just nutrient dense vegetables and then organ meats, you know, liver. And for example, is something that my grandmother ate for her entire life and fed to me as a child. And that's one of the most nutrient dense foods. And then 
we also, I also grew up eating foods with culinary herbs, also known as spices. You know, a lot of people don't realize the spices that we use in our cooking, rosemary, basil, oregano, turmeric, you know, pepper. These are all herbs. They're just in the category of culinary herbs. And so when we realize that we're cooking with herbs every single day, you know, there's, it's not about being afraid. It's about understanding how to use those. Now, of course, in America, in the U.S., and, and now in many Western civilizations, they, they remove the herbs. So now the foods no longer have flavor. And instead, what they put in is the MSG. You know, now you have a chemical flavor in the foods to replace what we used to eat. You know, as, as if, if you talk about society, of course, in my home, you won't find MSG, but you'll find the actual culinary herbs. Then when we talk about herbs for medicinal purposes, things like echinacea, um, you know, the Ganoderma or the reishi mushroom, uh, things like ashwagandha. These are herbs that, you know, that native societies wouldn't necessarily eat on an everyday basis, but they would eat them whenever there was a shift in their health and they wanted to bring balance back to their body. You know, you and I wouldn't be like, hey, you want to go and, you know, eat some baked echinacea root. That's not something we do on a daily basis. But um, the research shows that these herbs are beneficial and the cool thing is, is that they're safe. You know, there's a reason why they're available through holistic healthcare practitioners is because they're safe. Um, you know, if they weren't safe, obviously we have certain governmental protective agencies that would try to remove that herb from the market. And, and I found that as people change their diet, so they start to uh, consume foods that are no longer depleting their bodies from nutrients, meaning they're no longer eating genetically modified or genetically engineered. They're no longer eating those foods that are homogenized, pasteurized, refined. They're no longer eating, you know, white flour, white sugar, and they're consuming nutrient-dense foods, you know, just nice green, different colored vegetables and organ extracts, you know, if they're not vegetarian and, and making sure their protein and their fat intake is is sufficient and then they start to bring in and reintroduce more of the culinary herbs you know take for example uh, if you look at the rates of Alzheimer's disease here in the US and di diabetes you find that they're both growing in a very similar rate however if you look at India the rate of diabetes is growing much more quickly than the rates of Alzheimer's and if you look at their foods they're always eating things that are neuroprotective uh, especially turmeric and they have these neurological brain protective properties constantly being fed to themselves so you start to see lower rates of alzheimer's yet you know other diseases are are trending similar to the u.s and so what your listeners can do is start to now introduce more of these culinary herbs and then continue to work with their holistic healthcare practitioner to receive the actual medicinal herbs or you know, the more powerful herbs from the forest that can support and and expedite the healing process because at the end of the day the body does one thing when it's ill it, it wants to heal and and so there's a lot of magical powers you can say or you can just say just nat natural powers that exist within these herbs that can be of benefit um, obviously you know if there's if there's someone out there who is listening and you're on pharmaceuticals you know always work with a prescribing physician for any dosage adjustment of your pharmaceuticals. And then when you're working with your holistic health care practitioner, be sure to share with them your current medication history 
so that we can, you know, as practitioners can monitor and and see the potential for an herb the drug interaction. And and that is something that very few medical doctors are knowledgeable about, yet the holistic healthcare practitioners have significant amount of training on that. Um, and one thing to, you know that I see in my practice is that oftentimes an herb the drug interaction is oftentimes just a side effect from the drug. Um, you know, so it's something that I've I've seen here there pretty often. And more importantly, what I always do is I refer them to the medical doctor, the prescribing physician, or a colleague of mine that's an allopathic professional, and they will then guide the patient to to reach their their ideal dose that's not only safe but effective. Fantastic. So uh, one thing I think that might be interesting to talk about that probably my listeners don't know, or most of them don't know, is that in other countries outside the United States, uh, where herbs are more accepted as uh, interventions that physicians can use in their practice, that there are very high levels of quality control and testing for these herbs that go way beyond what the average United States consumer would be familiar with, and that uh, through holistic healthcare professionals, we can have access to those kinds of herbs. Could you talk about what's available that's out there that probably people don't know about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, we, when I look at what other countries are doing, you know, you look at specific countries in South America, Central America, in Europe, and how they're banning Monsanto and, you know, genetically modified foods to no longer be accessible to their to their people you know i think about how all these countries are just so ahead of us you know in terms of not only protecting the average consumer but supporting the growth of the human species and it's really unfortunate that you know the within the u.s capitalism and has really taken a foothold but let's go back into the history of herbs and and look where are holistic healthcare practitioners currently in the U.S., where are they looking to further support their understanding of these herbal formulas and how to best use them? And there is so much research uh, that was done in the U.K. And, I mean, they have uh, institutions and organizations where you can find thousands of clinical studies that are confirming the benefits. You know, what's funny is a lot of these herbs were always known to be effective for populations for humans uh, especially used correctly um, you look at the the traditional chinese texts you look at the history of how you know unfortunately a lot of people were experimented on various herbs in order to find the appropriate dosages but the idea is that none of them really had for maybe in the past four or five thousand years they didn't really have this whole model of the scientific method until maybe you know, 300 years ago, and and that's where you can see now there's a lot of research available to just support what has been intuitively discovered over the decades and thousands of years that humans have been using herbs. And you'll find a lot of research in Russia, a lot of research in the UK, a lot of research in Italy, Germany, you know, just throughout Europe. They're, they're so advanced from us in terms of what we put into our bodies you know they've they've got these initiatives to clean the diet and and they've made homeopathy legal you know for 
medical doctors to actually practice over there and you know where herbs are oftentimes the first line you know nutrition herbs then comes nutraceuticals then comes pharmaceuticals you know and then of course surgery and radiation being the last and ultimate but the idea is is that there's a lot of research there coming out from those countries and i also like to mention australia you know i consult for a company that that makes a high quality herb um and this herbal product line what they what they did to create their formulations was they went to the research done in russia and the uk and other parts and, and even um india and ayurvedic medicine in, in china and they look at the clinical studies to find out at what dosages could a person expect the therapeutic benefit and then they created formulas that match those dosages and of course now you know, holistic healthcare practitioners using their formulas across the world are having this recreating the same benefits. Now, what has happened with this company is they then created, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the, the founder of, of Medierb. His name is Kerry Bone, and he actually um, wildcrafted his own herbs. He started with his own backyard. You know, he, he wasn't thinking about building a, 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 I guess, a global wide herbal company but he started with his backyard and he started to wildcraft his own herbs and and through his own cold percolation processes and in his garage he started to create high quality liquid extracts of various herbs that he could collect and then his neighbors started asking for some of that and then his colleagues who were naturopathic doctors started asking for him to source so he they could provide it to their patients and then he started to grow further and eventually he you know was part of the creation of the largest naturopathic school in australia and and then from there um, he just found a way to now source sustainably across the world different herbs and make it accessible to holistic healthcare practitioners here in the us and other parts of the of the world as well and really did a good job of establishing a high quality product to the point where now universities are calling the company to use their herbal extracts to conduct further clinical studies so it kind of goes to show that that full circle you know first he created formulas depending on the research shown by what the russians and and though the researchers in india and the uk found he created formulas based on their findings and now you're he created a, a company that has such high quality herbal formulations that universities are now using their formulas and, and their herbs to conduct further research. So I, I think it's really important to understand that, um, you know, the, the great reason why I can achieve such amazing results within my client base and, and you the same is that we have access to these formulas and, and this high quality herb that, you know, that people like Carrie Bone and, and many people who the likes of him have really devoted their lives to supporting humanity and and so i give i give a lot of gratitude to to him and you know and, and to also of course the colleagues that we work with who can then now disseminate um you know the these herbs i can validate you know through clinical experience that the quality and the power and the potency of these herbs is uh, a totally different animal than what most people are are familiar with I want to go back to um, take a deeper dive into the issue of diet in detoxification. Um, 
assuming someone's gotten the crap out of their diet and they're wanting to fine tune things, I want to address a couple of areas. One is you mentioned about that you'd kind of uh, eventually landed on a paleo type diet. What's your view about if someone can actually get access to grains that have not been adulterated, or if someone can sprout their grains or ferment their grains or beans, what's your view? Are you uh, a really hardcore paleo person or have you modified that? Or what's your view on that? And then um, another thing I'd like you to go into with diet is your view about uh, adjusting diet for biochemical individuality because I find uh, in my clinical experience that once people do get the junk out of their diet that that's an important part of fine-tuning and then um, <clears throat> another thing I'd like you to address with regard to detoxification is um, I notice that once people have cleaned up their diet and they've uh, facilitated their eliminative organs to work better, that one of the last things to deal with is the detoxification of heavy metals, especially mercury and aluminum. And I was wondering if you could address your thoughts on that, and particularly if somebody still does have some mercury in their mouth through old dental work, is it dangerous to begin uh, a mercury de detoxification protocol until that's completely gone? Or if not, um, you know, maybe somebody can't afford to have them taken out now, or they don't have access to a dentist who can do that safely. Are there things people can do in the meantime? So those are those are three areas that in the time we have left, I'd love you to cover. Okay. All right. I, uh, I wrote these down. looks like I got a checklist here. Um, great topics. And I'm sure this, this actually applies to a lot of your listeners you know, because heavy metals are actually, you know, all over the place. Um, they're in our motherboards. So anybody who has a phone or a computer and there's a fan, um, you know, we're being exposed to that. We touch coins. We get, you know, exposure to heavy metals from coins if we're handling them. So it's going to be a huge issue. Obviously, mercury fillings, amalgam fillings, um, you know, are a huge source for mercury in the human body. And that we know that's a known neurotoxin. We can't even touch on vaccin vaccinations because vaccines, uh, when I was vaccinated, had mercury. And, and so I have had to do mercury detox. Uh, nowadays, kids today have to do mercury and aluminum detox since we look at the ingredients. So definitely, we got got a lot of topics. All right, so we'll go back to the to the very top in terms of Dietary recommendations. Um, okay, so when I mention paleo and, you know, I, I do eat, I do not eat 100% paleo, meaning that I eat as close as I can to the various native societies possible. Okay, and so the very first area in which we can look at food as nutrition and, and malnutrition as the cause of you know, modern day chronic illnesses, we have to go back and look at the research of Dr. Wesley Price. And what he found was societies completely free of all diseases, no cancer, no fibromyalgia, no hypothyroidism. And he observed what they were eating. Now they were all eating a variety of foods. In fact, 
None of them were vegetarian, but some societies ate 95% vegetables and some ate 5% vegetables. And he noticed that they were all consuming as a foundation, um, you know, three things. Number one, they all ate organ meats and they ate them out of various amounts. You know, so obviously the Eskimo, the Inuit were consuming, you know, a lot of animal uh, organ meats, fat, the skin. You know, you can't grow a lot of vegetables up where they live in that climate all that easily. And so a majority of their foods were were containing animal products. Now, going back to these 14 societies, all of them were eating organ tissues. And in Chinese culture, there's a saying, gan. So if you, it basically translates, if you eat liver, you regenerate the liver. And that actually applies to every tissue. If you eat thyroid, you can start to regenerate thyroid. It's one of the reasons why medical doctors, when they prescribe a desiccated thyroid, such as armor or um, nature thyroid, the thyroid starts to function again. But if they were to prescribe a patient a hormone such as synthroid or levothyroxine or cytomel, then that suppresses the gland and prevents it from regenerating. So we start to see in medicine, modern day medicine, which some of your listeners may be able to relate, is that if you start to eat that gland, your organ starts to actually support itself. Okay. Um, now, the other things that he noticed that they were consuming is not only organ meats, but they're eating vegetables. Okay, so they eat a lot of vegetables. And, and then they were eating herbs. And those are a lot of things that most people today are not consuming enough of. And if they are, they're, you know, they're being destroyed by overcooking and also just because they're being prepared from nutrient-depleted topsoils. Now, the one thing about these native societies that he observed also is that they ate a majority of these foods raw and a majority of these foods fermented. So the Eskimo would eat high meat, which was fermented organ tissues, and that was their natural antidepressant. Now, in a modern-day human society, most of my clients are not willing to ferment organ meats or even eat organ meats to begin with, and that's where I'm able to give it to them in a tablet or a capsule form so that they can gradually learn about the work from Dr. Weston A. Price and how these 14 societies live. Now, the most interesting thing about these societies is that some ate a lot of dairy. They ate raw dairy. They ate cheeses. Some ate lots of nuts that were sprouted and germinated. And some even ate bread and, you know, from heirloom wheat kernels. So, you know, in a very strict paleo environment, um, you know, avoiding grains is, is one of the tenets, you know. Now, do I say that grains are great for everyone? No. But are they harmful for everyone? Obviously not. You know, the most important thing is, is that when we discuss biochemical individuality is that every person is different and everyone has developed various food sensitivities if they don't have a healthy bowel system or a healthy gut, if they're not digesting appropriately, you know, they have lots of bloating, gas, possibly constipation, there's going to be some bowel issues to go ahead and repair and regenerate. And part of that process is the removal of all the known food allergens that could possibly be causing inflammation in the bowel. And, and so in doing so with some of my clients, I'll put them on an elimination diet. Now, this is a diet that your listeners can even try, and it's essentially removing all the known possible you know, food allergens that could irritate the bowel. And this includes dairy, eggs, nuts, grains, seeds, okay, soy, that includes that as well, legumes, and, and really 
every processed food should be eliminated. You know, when I work with clients, I don't tell them stop eating these foods because it's too difficult to tell somebody this is what you need to eliminate. Take this out of your diet. I take the approach of looking at their food diary and seeing what they're eating that is healthy and try to help them improve more of that. So I'll look at right away protein and fat because our bodies are essentially made up of protein, fat, minerals, um, and then lots of other things such as vitamins and enzymes. But if we look at what are we built um, out of, let's, let's take bone for example. Bone is one third protein, collagen type one, you know, protein. Um, our bones are one third minerals and it's not just calcium. It's calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, everything out there. So I want to make sure that they're eating a wide breadth of healthy protein sources, mineral sources, and then they're drinking sufficient water because bone is one third water. Um, and then because every cell in the body ha is made out of fat, we have the cell walls are made out of phospholipid bilayers, which is fat. And then it's also made out of cholesterol. So all cell walls are made from cholesterol and fat. And so I want to make sure they have sufficient amounts of those in their, in their diet so that they can rebuild their body to be fresh and new. When it comes to sugar or carbohydrate consumption, one thing to keep in mind is that there are, there are no essential sugars, meaning you don't need to eat sugar in order to stay alive because we can make and produce sugar or glucose, which is one of the fuels we burn from fat as well as protein. But when we consume too much sugar, that's where we run into all kinds of problems. And that's where we have the epidemic of diabetes and type two, especially, and many other health issues that we see in modern day society. So for, for in terms of addressing bio-individuality, the best place for people to start is eliminate processed foods, improve or increase your healthy protein intake, and then your healthy fat intake. And so what I mean by healthy fats are going to be avocados, coconut oil, olive oil, that's obviously cold pressed, extra virgin, and then animal fats that are coming from animals that were pasture raised and, and raised in a humane way and obviously organic. Um, so things such as tallow, lard, um, chicken fat, turkey fat, duck fat, etc. You know, these are now if someone is vegetarian, then they can go more on the side of avocados and coconuts. Um, and then really be cautious of the rancid polyunsaturated fats that are the common cooking oils that you see in nice, clear bottles that are golden color, right? The safflower oil, canola oil, really avoid all of those and, and stick with the healthy fats. Um, once I've seen that, you know, when I work with a client, once I see that they're making improvements in the diet, that alone is usually enough for them to start feeling better. But of course, we still have to support the years of nutrient depletion with some whole food formulas and some herbal remedies as well. Um, now, in times in which I'll have someone remove bread and wheat completely is, is going to be when I start to see that they have food sensitivity, food sensitivities to it. And if they have food sensitivities to wheat or nuts or seeds or eggs and dairy, what I'm going to do is put them on an elimination diet, but I'm going to give them alternatives to eat in replacement of those so they don't feel that they're starving. You know, no one likes to starve. And, and so we're going to make it easy for them. And then we give their gut a chance to heal. And then doing so, what we're going to do is we're going to provide them other nutritional support and herbal formulators for herbal formulations to allow their immune system to start to remodulate itself. So that when it sees that food, it no longer goes haywire, right? Because an autoimmune 
when someone has a food sensitivity, there, there's an autoimmune component to it. So the immune system needs some support to remodulate it, to kind of reset itself so that down the road, the person can reintroduce that food, provided it's not a genetically modified source. It's an heirloom variety, you know, and they can then eat bread where that bread has been uh, properly prepared. You know, I do eat bread, but it what I do, I eat one loaf every three months, and it comes from this bakery up in San Rafael that uses heirloom seeds, and then they properly ferment and sprout it, and it's the most amazing sourdough bread you've ever consumed. Now, it, one slice has so much nutrition because it's so nutrient-dense, but I consume that bread after I helped my immune system remodulate, reset itself, and my bowel and gut lining healed. You know, I would never want someone to eat that specific bread, no matter how healthy it is and no matter how these natives prepared it until their immune system has been supported to actually reset itself. Okay. Um, so I don't know, is there anything you wanted to ask specific to, you know, biochemical individuality and diet and grains before I move on to the topic of detox? Yes. Um, the question I have is, and it's based on uh, clinical observation over several decades, is that there seems to be uh, quite a bit of biochemical individuality, even after all of that is cleaned up. And even if you take the uh, food sensitivity issue into account, with regard to some people doing better on higher protein, heavier fat, some people doing better on lower levels of protein, uh, less fat. And so one of the things that I've studied to see if I can predict that in advance is I've studied metabolic typing and I found that that can be provide a good clue but I was wondering in your experience, what have you found in terms of that dimension of some people doing better with higher protein, some doing better with lower, some doing better with more fat, some people doing better with less fat, some people doing better with a little higher carb than others, some people seem to need to go really low carb. What have you seen about that? Yeah, great question. And and this is this question. The, the answer really all comes down to the to the individual. And in my practice, when they come in and let's say, for example, they're missing a gallbladder, you know, and the gallbladder is responsible for produce a storing bile You know, the liver produces the bile and then the gallbladder stores it. And then that bile is released into the small intestine to help with the emulsification of fat. And in doing so, then the human, the person can then emulsify the fat and then digest it, break it down and absorb that fat with the fat soluble vitamins. What this means is vitamins such as vitamin A, D, vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin F, they can then be absorbed into the body so that the body can use those vitamins. Now, when someone has the gallbladder removed, this right away just changes the person's ability to actually receive sufficient amounts of, you know, vitamin A, D, E, K, and F, and other fat-soluble vitamins that humans haven't yet discovered, and then changes their ability to then absorb fats, which we know are so important for the creation of healthy cell membranes. And, and so if we take this example of someone who's missing a gallbladder, they have to come in and 
you know, and, and what I do is I assess which fats are most ideal for them to consume and then how much and then what support we can provide them to properly and thoroughly emulsify those fats so that they then can get healthy fat coming into their bloodstream and then repairing cell membranes and also so that they can receive sufficient amounts of vitamin A, D, E, K, and F with that fat. And so that's an example of someone who's, you know, missing a gallbladder, obviously they're going to have to change their diet and their their intake separate from, it's going to be different than someone else who has a gallbladder. I'll give you another example. Uh, I have people who are marathon runners or, you know, just long distance bicyclists or bodybuilders. The amount of protein they're going to have to consume is going to be considerable, considerably higher because they are breaking down muscle and then they need to replenish it, you know, and, and so their protein intake is going to be different. And then not only that, depending on what they're eating as protein will determine how do we adjust that. You know, for example, some people fish may be better. Some people eggs might be better. Nuts or, you know, seeds might be better. And and this is where we start to fine tune things. Now, you know, there are general rules. Obviously, there's a lot of your listeners who aren't necessarily working with their holistic healthcare practitioner to this level. But, you know, some general principles to keep in mind is that the societies that Weston A. Price studied they all consumed between 30 to 80% of their calories as fat. So you have to think about 30 to 80% of their calories. That's a considerable amount of fat that very few of my clients are actually eating on a daily basis. And so in order to achieve that, we have to have that awareness of the benefits of healthy fat sources and then, and then ensure that each person is digesting them appropriately because there are a lot of people out there who are not used to eating a lot of fat and and maybe can't even break it down properly. And an easy telltale, you know, a way to see if you're not digesting fat right away is look at your stool after you go number two and see if it's pale or light brown. It, it should be a nice dark brown. And another thing you can see is, is it floating on top? If it's floating, it means the fats are not being properly digested because we know that fat, which is also oil, oil that's actually solidified, uh, oils sit at the top of the water. And so if it's floating, then you know you need support digesting fats and, and possibly either emulsifying or digesting or assimilating it. Um, so definitely when you're looking at, you know, when I look at clients in terms of what they're consuming, I want to make sure that they're, uh, it, it's tailored to them. Uh, but as a general rule, 30 to 80% of calories can become from fat, obviously healthy sources. And then when we look at protein, there are studies showing that because bone is one-third protein, it's very important we consume protein, uh, and not only for the production of bro healthy bones, but pretty much all biological processes. All enzymes are made out of proteins, right? And the idea is, is that there was a study showed that if you eat less than 0.7 grams per pound, so let's say someone is 100 pounds or, or you know 200 pounds, okay? Let, let's do 100 pounds. It makes it easy math to eat 0.7 grams of protein per pound is the bare minimum to prevent osteoporosis. And so for someone who's 100 pounds to consume 70 grams of protein per day is an ideal amount. And so that's, you know, that's what you, the research shows. Now, I find a lot of my clients are not even eating protein, enough protein for breakfast. And in fact, a lot of them are skipping breakfast. And that creates a significant amount of stress on their bodies. And, and so I always look at what healthy protein sources are they consuming. And I just simply ask them, 
hey, can you eat this for breakfast? You know, this morning I had I had a steak for breakfast. Some people think a steak is just for dinner, but I want to make sure that I have sufficient amount of protein coming in at every single meal throughout the day, meeting the minimum requirement of 0.7 grams per pound of my body weight. Um, so, so that's what your, your listeners can start with. Um, obviously, working with a holistic clinical nutritionist, they can get even more specific, more, more refined, and then more so um, when it comes to eating specific organ tissues and extracts, that's where the practitioner comes in hand because it's so difficult to source desiccated glands from throughout the different parts of the body. You know, let's say you wanted to consume pancreas. It's really hard to find a, a clean pancreas at a local butcher shop. And by using the formulas that you and I use in our practices, it's easy for people to get pancreas and thyroid and liver to start to help support the regeneration of various organs and glands. That, that's a really good uh, rule of thumb and I think a really good place to start. So let's, uh, for the sake of time, let's leave that topic and let's go on to detoxification, especially heavy metals. Okay. All right. So if we look at those societies that Weston Price followed and, you know, keep in mind, he traveled around the entire globe and he, he's, he conducted these mini ethnographies with almost 100 different villages and tribes and 14 of them had perfect health. And, and the ones that had absolute perfect health had no exposure to environmental toxins. I mean, they were literally geographically isolated to the point where there were no roads leading to where they live. And so Dr. Price had to hike or snowshoe in. Uh, you know, at that time, I don't, they didn't have helicopters. And, and so they were really free of environmental toxins. Now, today, what we see is we have toxins, you know, we have pesticides. You can see the chemtrails in the air, you know, the little tic-tac-toe um, chemical pathways right above us. You have heavy metals in our environment, um, and, you know, we really can't run away from it. And what happens is these chemicals will enter our bodies. Either we breathe them in, drink, consume it, or in some cases inject it, unfortunately. Uh, we put it on. It comes in contact with our skin, and then our skin absorbs it. So these toxins get into our body, and the number one thing our bodies want to do with these toxins is to eliminate it, all right? Whether we urinate it, sweat it out, uh, whether we defecate, goes through our feces, whether we spit it out, right? it's, it's trying to come out. Um, a key indicator uh, in which someone's environmental toxic load is through the roof, it, it's met its threshold, is you know, it's coming through your skin. Now you have acne or you have a skin rash or you can see something is now itching, maybe some area of eczema, uh, maybe even uh, a cyst. You know, some area in which it's coming through the skin is an indicator that the liver and the kidneys and the lymph tissue, which are your primary organs of detox, are now starting to get fatigued or get clogged. And the skin is your like your last resort for detox okay so if anyone has some sort of skin condition you got to really look at well what's going on you know i have some clients they'll come in and they're real sensitive to perfumes and if they're real sensitive to perfumes it means their body right now is so saturated with other chemicals that perfumes which contain chemicals known to be carcinogens once that enters the body it starts to kind of start creating this 
breakthrough in the body. You know, it hits the threshold and starts to irritate it. So these are, you know, ways in which your listeners could start to assess, mm, maybe they need to do some detox work. Now, if you look at all the research, uh, the, the vaccine ingredients, a lot of us have been vaccinated. You know, obviously I was vaccinated due to my parents doing the best with what they knew. And we start to see now neurological cases, uh, reactions to these ingredients are on the rise, specifically like seizures, um, encephalopathy, you know, inflammation in the brain. Um, Guillain-Barre, we start to see is a common side effect of the flu vaccine where, um, you know, not, not everyone's going to get that side effect, but it's, it's important to read the package inserts because these package inserts indicate, oh, you know, Guillain-Barre is a potential side effect or has occurred after the va uh, vaccine has been administered. And you have to think about Guillain-Barre. It's, it's an autoimmune condition affecting the peripheral nervous system. You know, we can think of MS as well as, as a, another autoimmune condition affecting the, the nervous system. And so when these ingredients are injected and the body is unable to remove them, and you'll see a lot of our colleagues who are holistic healthcare practitioners now conducting genetic testing to see if their patients or the clients have MTHFR variations, you know, challenges detoxing these adjuvants. Then what happens is once we confirm these things, these adjuvants start to, or these ingredients start to reside in the body. And, and then they'll get stuck in fat tissue or they'll get stuck in an organ and then inhibit that organ from functioning like it should normally do so. So you'll see a lot of people, maybe they start to lose digestion capacity or uh, they'll lose the ability to regulate their blood sugar because some of these heavy metals then start to tra travel to the pancreas. Um, and it can go to different parts. You know, we, it can go to the nervous system, go to the heart, go to the adrenals, et cetera. Um, so it's really important that we minimize our toxic exposure um, knowing what the body is trying to do with them you know first eliminate it and then after later it stores it, it sequesters it, it tries to hide it right and if it can't then we have some bigger problems and so detox starts with first eliminating the toxins number two it's doing everything you can to support the major organs of detox that's the liver the kidneys and the lymph so obviously movement and drinking lots of water and getting regular massage or body work will support the lymph tissue um, you know actually drinking sufficient water and consuming foods that benefit the kidneys and the liver will support the detox of chemicals through the liver and the, and the kidneys. Um, urination, you know, I see a lot of my clients come in on blood pressure medications and now they have problems with their kidneys because a lot of these blood pressure lowering medications are forcing the kidneys to do things that they're not intended to do, which is dehydrate a patient, right? A lot of these drugs are known as diuretics. And so the body's trying to hold the water and these drugs are now influencing the kidney's ability to, to manage water levels. And so I see, um, you know, certain medications challenging the detox organs. Uh, you'll see a lot of women who are, have a history of birth control pills all of a sudden start to get skin condition, um, like erasmus, or um, maybe they get red spots on their skin, cherry hemangiomas. You know, this is an indicator that the liver is now a little bit on the congested side and needs some additional support. You know, these women maybe then they uh, they can't wear their contact lenses, and we know any problems with the eyes are linked to a liver and kidney problem. And so these are common triggers that your patients and my clients come in with, and it's pretty clear. It's like, oh, you need to do some detox and 
And so what I recommend is for your listeners is that they can start juicing vegetables, green leafy vegetables. In Chinese medicine, green is the color for the liver. And if you start eating more kale and Brussels sprouts, beet leaves, not only the beetroot, but the leaves and the chards, you can start to clear those out. Um, when we get to the general topic of heavy metal detoxification, heavy metals you kind of think of are toxic minerals. In order to get them out of the body, we really need to use specific chelators. And what a chelator is, is it takes that toxic mineral, heavy metal, and binds it to a substance which enables it to then be freed to flow into the bloodstream. Now, the thing about doing a heavy metal detox, it's very important to work with a holistic healthcare practitioner because you could essentially take a lot of chelators out into your body and it draws the heavy metals out from one part of the brain or a different organ or a different tissue. And then it just re-lodges into a different part of the body. And it's very important that the, the liver and the kidneys and the lymph are fully functional prior to starting this process, or it's actually done concurrently, meaning that we can effectively chelate the heavy metals out from where they are, and the liver and the kidneys can sufficiently remove it from the bloodstream so it doesn't get re replaced or, or re, I guess, distributed to some other part of the body. And then what's important in, in some cases is that if the bile takes that heavy metal and then dumps it into the large intestine, we may need to give some sort of absorbing substance, maybe a clay or um, you know a probiotic so that it can bind to that heavy metal <clears throat> while it's in the bowel to draw it out of the body. Otherwise, these heavy metals get constantly reabsorbed. I had, for example, a client the other day swallowed coins as a child and for 30 years had bowel issues. And when they came into my practice, I found that they had a heavy metal toxicity in their body. And, and of course, they defecated out the, camp, the coins, but these coins were leaching heavy metals into their system, and they haven't had a heavy metal detox protocol done for the past 30 years. Of course, they're a work in progress. It's, it's a process to make sure that we don't have these heavy metals be released into the bloodstream and then be re, relocated into a different part of the body. So... Um, you know, heavy, heavy metal chelators are one area that are going to be important. Then having support for the liver, the kidneys, and the lymph. And then pro lastly, providing bowel support so that we have something to help push the heavy metals or bind to it to be drawn out of the, the bowel, the large, small and large intestine. Um, in terms of those who have amalgam fillings, definitely work with a holistic healthcare practitioner that can support the heavy metal chelation. Uh, and identify a biological dentist or a holistic dentist who is trained on removing amalgams um, from, from the body. And they are trained to minimize the amount of those gases from entering through, through your airways. Of course, they're taking certain protective measures to make sure they don't uh, absorb the heavy metals, but it's really important to partner up. You know, In terms of the field of healthcare, it's really important to have your power team. And that requires a holistic healthcare practitioner who understands how to support heavy metal detox. And then you also have a biological dentist to help you with the uh, replacement of these amalgams to a more, I guess, less harmful uh, subs enamel substitute. What's your view if, uh, if a person isn't ready yet to get the mercury out of their mouth 
would you wait on any kind of heavy metal detox until then? Or are there things you feel that are safe to do while the person still has the metal in their mouth? You know, it, it's, it, it's kind of funny, you know, we, it, it's all about a priority, establishing what is the top priority for this person. For example, I had a client the other day, she has thyroid issues and was on Synthroid and on her blood work, it showed she obviously still had the thyroid problems still there and it showed her EGFR readings on her blood levels were dropping, meaning her kidneys were also starting to hurt themselves. Upon my physical exam procedures, I found that um, her kidneys were the priority. In order to fix the thyroid, we had to fix the kidneys. But then I looked at what was troubling the kidneys, and we found that there was a heavy metal load. And then I looked at her history, and she had amalgams still in her mouth. And so for her, in order for her thyroid problems to start to reverse themselves or you know, for the body to start healing the thyroid, we had to fix the kidneys. But in order for the kidneys to start to heal, we had to start to remove the source of the heavy metals. And so for her, we started off with kidney support and some thyroid support and some heavy metal detox support. And then it was really imperative for her to go see the biological dentist um, for removal of the amalgams. And so it really depends on the case as to where the priority is. Now, there are many people who have amalgam fillings where they aren't leaking as rapidly you know, the heavy metals into the body, they aren't leaking as rapidly as other cases. And in those situations, it's okay to wait off for a little bit, get the detox organs in gear, take your time to identify a biological dentist. And then at some point in six, eight, nine months, they can make that decision um, should they feel it's the next course of action. You know, so with everybody, it really depends on where they are, what their priority is, and what the body's trying to do, you know, because at the end of the day, it's trying to heal. But maybe we've got to get to the cause sooner rather than later. Okay. Well, Gerald, there's so many other topics I'd love to address, but we're already about uh, five minutes over. So uh, maybe we can uh, save that for another time. So as we move toward wrapping it up, a couple things. One is... Uh, if there's anything you'd like to say to the listeners in closing, and then also in terms of um, listeners that are interested in having some professional guidance, um, I don't know if you would prefer that they contact you or they contact me. I don't know if you're full right now. So however you want to handle that is great. And uh, yeah, just, I'm so grateful for um, the opportunity to, uh, to share you with my with my tribe. Thank you for having me. And you know, my my final message to everyone who's listening is that um, there's so much you can do on your own, just as I have done for my own personal health, and you know, in terms of guiding the client, my clients to optimal health. But just know that, just like with anything in life, um, there are people out there to help us. You know. Uh, whether you have a business consultant for your business or if you're working in a corporation, you have a manager who, manager who's guiding you to grow to the next level. The same applies to health. You know, find out who's part of your health team. You know, find a holistic chiropractor, a holistic acupuncturist, a clinical nutritionist, a holistic medical doctor or osteopath. And, you know, just try to build that team for for not only yourself, but for your family and your friends because they're going to see what you're doing in your life 
not only what you do at home on a day-to-day basis, but who you're collaborating with to um, address your health issues and so that you can live, you know, in a healthy way, happy, and, you know, eventually drug-free. And, you know, I am, right now I have a wait list, but for anybody who's interested in um, be, putting their name on the wait list, you can visit my website. It's thehealingbody.com. So T-H-E, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, body. Com. And you can place your name there. And in a couple months, I'll be opening up the wait list to a couple more clients. And, you know, obviously, Dr. David is a, an amazing colleague. So if you can see him now, go ahead and do that as well. And, and if not, there's, gosh, there's thousands of amazing colleagues like ourselves who are out there just waiting for you to just give them a chance uh, and, and work with them because, um, you know, the world needs you. And, uh, and we need you to be uh, as, as optimally healthy as possible. Thank you so much, uh, Gerald. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and transformation. And today, my special guest has been Gerald Rolise, and we've been talking about nutrition, detoxification, and Gerald's journey of going from a pharmaceutical rep to a natural healthcare expert and professional. Gerald, one thing we didn't mention that I think would be useful for the listeners is, do you want to let them know about the book that you wrote and how they can get it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, they can go to the website I just mentioned, thehealingbody.com, or you can go to the website called thepharmaceuticalmyth.com. The book is titled The Pharmaceutical Myth, Letting Food Be Your Medicine is the Answer for Perfect Health. And so you can simply visit that website. You can see a nice three-minute trailer um, with me in it and just briefly sharing my story. And if you have any questions about the book, there are definitely some little clips you can read on on that website, thepharmaceuticalmyth.com. Great. And so we'll uh, put the link to your contact information in the show notes, my contact information in the show notes. And then uh, also we'll put the link to the interview that you did last year with, you said his name was Eric? Uh, Sean Croxton. Oh, Sean, Sean Croxton. I really suggest that this interview be listened in conjunction with that interview because it'll give you a really big picture of Gerald's journey. And uh, Gerald, once again, just a personal thank you for uh, being in my life and being one of my main go-to people for support and for expanding my knowledge base and my ability to help people to heal. And thank you again for being a guest today on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. So with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. 
Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.